0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. What does Jesus have to say about relationships? Here's the Jesus standard for righteousness. Keep a check, keep a watch on your anger and your words. And if either gets out of hand, work for reconciliation and do it quickly.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffers. You know, nobody enjoys dealing with difficult people. Negative neighbors, co-workers, and even our own family can spoil an otherwise pretty good day. Well, Jesus himself certainly recognized the need to cultivate healthy relationships. And today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffers shares how Jesus addressed this important topic in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffers? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory.
0: If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a cup of coffee with Jesus, what would you talk to him about? And more importantly, what do you think he would talk to you about? Now, I know that's a fanciful thought, but just think, if you had 18 minutes to sit across the table and chat with Jesus, where might you start? Well, it occurred to me that 10 of the most compelling topics are included in Jesus' most famous sermon. In his Sermon on the Mount, which only takes 18 minutes to read, Jesus covered subjects such as restoring relationships with your enemies, learning how to cultivate happiness, and how to overcome our financial worries. This month, I'm presenting a teaching series on this remarkable sermon from Jesus. And to complement our study, and as a gift to you, I've written a best-selling hardcover book called 18 Minutes with Jesus. The subtitle is Straight Talk from the Savior About the Things That Matter Most. It's perfect for your morning reading time, and many are using this book in their small group as well. Again, the book is called 18 Minutes with Jesus, and I'll make sure a copy is sent to your home right away when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. In fact, when you respond today, I'll include the helpful companion study guide as well. We'll say more about my book and the study guide, along with other resources, right after today's message. But right now, let's begin message number four in this 10-part series. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Relationships. Ruth Graham the wife of evangelist Billy Graham was one time asked about her marriage to the great evangelist. The reporter said, Mrs. Graham, has there ever been a time during your marriage in which you thought about divorce? With a twinkle in her eyes, she said, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. (laughs) It's a funny reply, but it's interesting that some people actually use a standard like that to measure their own righteousness. They think as long as they don't actually run away with somebody else's mate, as long as they don't actually kill the mate they're thinking about murdering, well, maybe they're good enough to get into heaven. But as we're going to see today, God has a far higher standard than our standard. And understanding that standard is not only necessary to make it into the kingdom of God, but it's necessary for us to live with the benefits of the kingdom of God right now. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue our series, 18 Minutes with Jesus, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And remember in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus began this most famous of all sermons by outlining the benefits of living according to his standards. We call those benefits the Beatitudes. He talked also last time we saw about when we live according to Jesus' standard, we're the salt and light he commanded us to be. But now we're ready to get into the application. How does understanding and applying Jesus' standard apply first of all to our relationships? And that's what he begins with in verse 17. Jesus said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you that until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Look at verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.21, Jesus said, now you have heard that the ancients were said, that's another way of saying, you have read in the Bible, the Old Testament, you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Now, let's hand it to the Pharisees. They got it right. They were teaching right. The Old Testament standard was don't murder anybody. That was the minimum standard. Don't murder anybody. By the way, the command thou shalt not kill is better translated thou shalt not murder. And Jesus is quoting it correctly here. Why, what's the difference? Well, there are some allowances for killing in the Bible. Did you know that? There's some instances where you can take another person's life. For example, in Genesis 9-6, God outlined the principle for capital punishment. He said, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed as well. Capital punishment is God's idea. He said, human life is so important and valuable that if anybody takes a person's life in a premeditated way, he ought to have his life taken as a way of showing Uh, how valuable human life is. You say, well, that was the Old Testament. This was long before the Mosaic Law. This is one of God's foundational principles. By the way, you find that in Romans 13 as well in the New Testament. Paul said uh, in Romans 13, government does not bear the sword for nothing. In other words, God's given government the right to behead people for certain offenses, which includes uh, taking the life of another human being. We don't have time to get into it, but Exodus 22, 2 to 3, talks about the allowance for killing somebody accidentally if they're breaking into your home and trying to steal your property, if you make a mistake and kill them. you get off the hook for doing that. Here's a command of Jesus I bet few of you have ever read before. Luke 22:36. 36, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. You're to buy a sword. Keep it. Why? To slice bread? Is that what he's talking about? No it's to defend yourself. In Jesus' day, it was open carry. Everybody had a sword. As for a righteous purpose, all human life is important to God, including your own and that of your family. You can protect yourself. So, there are instances in which taking a life was allowed, but Jesus said the law is don't murder. And if you, in a premeditated, angry way, take the life of somebody else, you are guilty. So, that's the minimum standard. Jesus said, I'm going to raise that standard. I mean, let's be honest. If you want to have a fulfilling relationship, not killing them is kind of the basic standard. I mean, if you kill them, you've destroyed any possibility for a relationship, right? But not Killing them doesn't guarantee a great relationship. Jesus adds to that standard. Look at verse 22. But I say to you, not in contradiction of the Old Testament, but in addition to it, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus is addressing the attitudes behind the action of murder. And this is his foundational teaching about relationships. Yes, murder is the extreme, the ultimate way of severing your relationship with another person. But there are other ways to fracture an important relationship. For example, it's possible to murder somebody through infuriation. That is, with your anger. That's what Jesus says here. Everyone who is angry is guilty. Does that mean anger is always wrong? No, anger is not always wrong. If you'll remember in our series on Proverbs, the Solomon secrets, I defined anger as a natural, physical and emotional reaction to perceived injustice. It's natural for us to be angry. When we see these atrocities being committed in Ukraine, most of us get angry at what we're watching. You know why we get angry? It's not because we're sinful. It's because we are made in the image of God who gets angry. We are made in God's image. God is angered over injustice, wrongdoing. No, anger is natural. And it's okay as long as it's dealt with correctly And quickly. Emphasize that word quickly. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, be angry and yet do not sin. Isn't that an interesting command? Be angry and yet do not sin. If anger in and of itself were wrong, he never would have said be angry. Is there any other verse in the Bible that says be lustful and do not sin? Be a drunkard, be drunk, but don't sin. Be a thief, but don't sin. No, it's be angry, yet don't sin. And here's how to deal with it correctly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. How do you respond to anger? That's another sermon in and of itself. But let me emphasize the importance of doing it quickly. And this is especially true For those of us who are married, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't go to bed if you're angry with your mate. You stay up, work it out, talk it through. I heard a pastor just this week say that anger between a married couple is like wet cement. If it's allowed to harden overnight, it becomes almost impossible to deal with the next day. Deal with anger quickly. One way we destroy another person is by our anger, murder by infuriation. But there's a second way to destroy your relationship, murder by devaluation. Devaluation. Look at verse 22. He went on to say, whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. That phrase good for nothing is the Aramaic word "raka." It literally means empty-headed. When you say you are empty-headed, you are devaluing another person. That's why James 3, 8 to 10 says, But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Whenever you devalue somebody, you call them empty, you are speaking out against the God who created them. And that's wrong. And by the way, just because somebody may not be a Christian doesn't give us the right to devalue them. Remember what God did for us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't look at us as worthless. He didn't write us off to experience the consequences of our sin. He valued us, and that's why he sent Christ to die for us. Don't be guilty of murder by devaluation. And thirdly, we can destroy your relationship. We can murder somebody by defamation. This is a nuanced difference, but it's still important to understand. Verse 22, whoever says, you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. You fool, the Greek word Jesus used here is moros. We get our word moron from it. Now in our language, we think of a moron as a stupid person, but that's not what Jesus had in mind here. Uh, That would have been the previous word, empty-headed. Here it means a moral reprobate. To call somebody a morass was to defame their character, to engage in character assassination. Proverbs 11.9 says, with his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. Don't be guilty of destroying somebody by devaluing them or by defaming them. Could I say a very applicable word to us right now? We're living in a time when our country is more divided than it's been since the days of the Civil War. And that polarization is only increasing. I think as Christians, we have every right and responsibility to call out the ungodly policies of the current administration, or any administration for that matter. And I did that last week. But just because we disagree with our authority doesn't mean we have the right to defame them or devalue them. We have no right to use terms like the moron-in-chief to describe the President of the United States. Let's not subscribe to the world's way to deal with the very real disagreements we may have with the government everybody is created in God's image. And when we speak out against another person, we devalue them, we defame them, not their policies, but them as a person, we are guilty of murder. Jesus realized that all of us fall short. Let me be the first to say I fall short of that. We all fall short of God's standard for righteousness. So how do we repair relationships that may have been severed. I want you to notice in verses 23 to 26, he gives us two important principles for repairing damaged relationships. The first principle is reconciliation is more powerful than revenge. Remember that reconciliation is more powerful than revenge. Usually our natural instinct, if somebody wrongs us, is to wrong them, to hurt them, And thus begins an escalation in hostility that ends up many times in a mutual destruction of both parties. Jesus said, let me show you a better way. Reconciliation is more powerful than revenge. And he gives this illustration, verse 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering— there before the altar, and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Now, you know how most people interpret that? I've heard this a million times. I've heard preachers say, now, if you're in church, and you're worshiping, and then you remember you've got something against somebody, leave church, and go to that other person, and try to wrangle a confession out of them, Confront them with their need to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And don't leave until you've succeeded in doing that. Is that what Jesus is talking about? No. In fact, in Mark 11.25, Jesus made it very clear that if you are in church, if you're praying, if you're worshiping, and you remember you have something against your brother, don't leave the church, don't leave your pew. You stand right there by yourself and forgive that other person. That's what Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, where whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will forgive you of your transgressions. You don't need to go talk to somebody to forgive them. You don't need to hear them say, I'm sorry, I repent. You don't need to put any conditions on it. You've got the power right there to forgive them. And that produces Freedom. Your spiritual freedom doesn't depend on what they do. That other person can be in another state, in another country, or in the cemetery. You don't have to depend upon them. It's in you to forgive, to let go of that offense. So what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about you're in church, and you remember somebody else has something against you. You suddenly remember somebody has something against you. This is one of the few times Jesus ever says, leave the church service leave the temple, and you go to that person and you seek to be reconciled to them. They've got something against you, you go be reconciled to them. You may know what that something is. And you go and you make it right with them. You make restitution if necessary. You repent. It may be that you don't know what you've done, but there's been a barrier between that person and you. What do you do then? You go to them and say, you know what? I sensed there's something that has come between us. I don't know what it is, but our relationship is so valuable that I want you to please tell me what I've done to offend you so that I can make it right. But what if they say, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. I've had that happen to me. Well, you can't do anything about that, but at least you've made the effort You know, that's what a clear conscience is. A clear conscience is the assurance that neither God nor anybody else can accuse you of a wrong you have not attempted to make right. That other person may or may not want to reconcile with you. That depends upon them. But you're responsible to make the effort. Remember Romans 12, 18? If possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Jesus said in a fractured relationship, first of all, reconciliation is more powerful than revenge. Secondly, reconcile today rather than tomorrow. That's the second principle. Look at verses 25 to 26. Jesus said, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you've paid up the last cent. Now this makes no sense to us in our culture, but it did to Jesus' audience. Remember in Jesus' day? Really, up until 1830 in our own country, there was such a thing as debtor's prison. If you owed somebody money, and you refused to pay, they could take you to court. And if the judge ruled against you, you could be thrown into debtor's prison until you repaid. And guess what? You didn't have a chance to repay it, you're in prison. And all that happened was the interest on your debt increased and increased and increased until you could never get out. Jesus was saying it's much better to make peace with your opponent now before he takes you to court, before you run up legal fees, before your debt increases any more from your imprisonment. How does that relate to our relationships? Reconcile today rather than tomorrow. Let me be real practical with this. Amy and I rarely argue, but when we do, and if it's my fault, which it usually is, I've learned the hard way after 45 years of marriage, it's much better if I ask her forgiveness today than wait. Because the longer I wait, the more my debt increases day by day by day. And frankly, the bigger the debt becomes, the less likely I'm to ask forgiveness. The longer it goes, the less likely she is to grant forgiveness. Settle it today. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that reconciliation is more powerful than revenge. And he's saying reconciling today is wiser than reconciling tomorrow. What does Jesus have to say about relationships? Here's the Jesus standard for righteousness. Keep a check, keep a watch on your anger and your words. And if either gets out of hand, work for reconciliation, and do it quickly. Every principle in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount can be readily applied to life. It's so simple to understand and yet so challenging to remember. My hope and prayer is that this series called 18 Minutes with Jesus becomes a catalyst for transformation in your life. To help you, I've written a best-selling book that goes into far greater detail. My book is called 18 Minutes with Jesus – Straight Talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. You see, it's not enough to simply read Jesus' sermon and think, oh, that's a nice thought. No, our job as followers of Christ is to integrate His wisdom into our daily life. And as we learn to implement what He taught. We'll discover the satisfaction of better relationships, deeper happiness, and much more. But that's not all. We'll also send you a study guide to go along with the book to give you a place for taking notes, making your personal observations, and guiding your prayers as well. To receive your copy of my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, and the study guide, just follow the simple instructions David will give you. Both resources come with my thanks when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. As our ministry continues to reach more and more people around the world, our expenses are growing as well. So thanks for remembering that your gift, big or small, will make all the difference as together we pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. David?
1: Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. To receive a copy of the best selling book by Dr. Robert Jeffers called 18 Minutes with Jesus, simply contact the Ministry of Pathway to Victory with a generous gift. As an added bonus, we'll also include the corresponding study guide. So give us a toll free call, 866 999 2965, or visit our website, ptv.org. And when you give $75 or more, We'll also send you the complete collection of audio and video discs for the 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. You could also send your donation by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us again next time when we look at what Jesus taught about marital fidelity and sexual purity. Hear a message called Straight Talk About Your Sex Life. That's Tuesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.